Some more reflection on France's triumphant journey at the Division 2 European Women's T20 World Cup qualifier. Namibia hosts Karnataka. The piece is coming together for the Cricket World Cup qualifier. The Kabuka tournament in Rwanda. Julia Price in Brazil. UAE versus West Indies. And the East Asia Pacific Under-19 qualifiers for the Men's Under-19s Cricket World Cup. That's all coming up in the Emerging Cricket Podcast. It's a warm welcome in again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast live and on Sport FM in Perth. Daniel Beswick joined by Nick Skinner to talk about the week that was in the Emerging Cricket world. How are you, Nick? Had a little bit of a delay coming into recording tonight. Some uh, visa snags, I think we can call them at at your end. Do you want to uh, digress before we kick on with the show today? Uh yeah. Well, the uh, the Danish government just <laughs> seems to be double dipping here. They've um they've charged us several hundred dollars to apply for a visa, and now uh, they're charging us several hundred dollars at the embassy to hand it in. So that's um that's not very nice. But uh, yes, aside from that, uh, very annoying situation. We're okay. We're slowly moving through our process. We're looking for apartments in Copenhagen. So it's um it's moving along. It's all happening. How about you, Bez? Hopefully your bank account's not suffering in the same extent as mine. Uh, no, thankfully not. There is a lot going on uh, in work land. The ICC World Test Championship final mm. uh, currently going on as we are recording and uh, work for that for that is uh, has been quite intense. And also the Cricket World Cup qualifier coming up, which is exciting from an emerging cricket standpoint given... I kind of get to do a double dip of my own here between emerging cricket and full-time work. So... Looking forward to that. But yeah, things are good. Very flat out. There's never really a dull moment in any cricket, let alone emerging cricket in every week. I think it's probably a good place to start actually looking at last week's show and if the people out there who are very keen listeners of the show, and there are several of you and, and we do thank you every week for tuning in, <laughs> they would have heard us talk about France making uh, the late run into qualification into Div 1 of the women's qualifier for the T20 World Cup which is held next year, but the European qualifier is is later in the year. Uh, France and Italy went through with Germany missing out. Germany had been hot favourites for the tournament. And we kind of had to pivot last minute on the show. We actually recorded two endings based on how the tournament would potentially go, just the way that we were recording. And uh, I must say that even when we did record that, we were kind of of the opinion that, you know, Germany might just nick it and sneak through anyway. Um, we saw France go through and I think it's fair for us to kind of bring it back as a topic again because it's a monumental achievement from France to do what they did. We know that Germany did face a a couple of things that were sort of outside their control that sort of went against them, things like cargo not getting onto the island and things like that. But we've heard from James Warstead, who is a, a keen member of the sort of emerging cricket family as it were big contributor in our facebook groups talks uh, a lot about sort of french cricket has done an excellent job in in valenciennes as well with cricket there um and he was able to kind of give us some info on on how they played and i'll just run that through now um he, he felt that it was a great point of timing i think for for france in this tournament a few things had sort of changed in their system to help them succeed. France cricket apparently insisted that every player trained with their local athletics club, raising fitness levels and stuff like that. 
he said that the newer players of Liddy Templeman, Wyke, Samma Patel, and Amy Seddon were young and dynamic and improved the fielding. Then looked at someone like Enos McKean, who's Gustav's sister, who's come from WA, qualifies for France, did an excellent job. Uh, Annika Bester had a good tournament. And the team sort of added a few match winners into its group. Um, he felt that in comparison that Germany sort of relied on the likes of Christina Goff and Anurata Dolabalapur. And, and given they got some quick wickets and took some important wickets, it meant that France were able to kind of dominate. And then looked back at, at someone like Templeman Wikes and, and raved about her potential for France, even though she didn't really make a particularly big score in the tournament. And he kind of finished off with the point that, yes, this is all been done in spite of relying on just four clubs in the country that he believes you know takes women's cricket seriously. So there's not really enough of the grassroots yet, but they've been able to to pull up this result. And he raved about the fielding ability of the team as well. So all of that has culminated in a, a France qualification. And you've got to say, looking at that, and the scores don't lie when you when you play the you know the tournament in the format that it's in. Thoroughly deserving to move on to the next round. And again, it goes to show that. These regional qualifiers are starting to become a little bit more competitive, even in Europe and, and in other regions across the world. But even in women's cricket, even at this level, uh, we're starting to see that competition, and it can only build the game in in a better in a better way moving forward in, in future cycles. Nick. Yeah, and um, I, I think it's interesting that uh, that James makes that point uh, about France being more of a collective unit, whereas um, it's, it's pretty common to see in women's cricket, uh, well, especially associate women's cricket, that, yeah, you do have one or two star performers and, and you kind of build the team around them. Whereas if, if France here are uh, making it more of a collective effort, then that just gives them more options. And, you know, if someone does fail, then then they've got backup. So if that's the way they're putting the team together, I think that's very promising. It will be interesting to see how they go uh, at the next level up, you know, against Scotland and the Netherlands. Uh, last time they were in a in a qualifier, they lost pretty comprehensively to those teams uh, when they played them. So, yeah, it'll be kind of a, a good yardstick to see how much progress they've actually made. But sort of the flip side of that is that, as as James says, you know, there's only a few clubs producing players and they're still coming up with, with a decent team. So, you know, the upside here is enormous if they can just get a few things right back home with the grassroots. And we know there's a lot of cricket being played in France on the men's side with uh, especially, um, you know, relatively recent uh, migrants to France and, and finding a, a community there. So if they can cross-pollinate that, I guess, across to the women's side of things and keep producing grassroots talent in the, in the same way, then it looks like France is, is an exciting hotbed for cricket um, and... Yeah, it's just onwards and upwards. So hopefully they can, uh, yeah, they can keep building because the more competitive teams, the better. And especially in a Europe region where it is so easy for teams to get around and, and you can play series with relative ease compared to, say, Africa, where uh, we, we might look to in a minute. But, you know, it is a bit more difficult for teams to, to, to fly around or, or, I mean, <laughs> heaven forbid, trying to get around on a bus in Africa with, with all your sporting gear. But yeah, that, that is a lot more possible in Europe. So that's one of the advantages of, of this uh, sort of high concentration of members in a small geographic area. And yeah, hopefully more competition, the better. Absolutely. And yeah, just to kind of underline that last point of yours, Nick, Germany didn't even finish third in the competition in the end, eventually falling to fourth on net run rate with a very young Jersey side finishing third. And we spoke about that last week. So definitely go back and and check that pot out. But we talked about, you know, the Jersey side essentially being an under-19s team with quite a few players much, much younger than just 19. So 
again, there's there's competition there. Sweden tasted victory at the tournament. And yeah, as we mentioned last week, speaking to two of the commentators that were there covering the event, there were positives out of a Turkey side that went winless as well. So it bodes well. And just to reiterate, France and Italy move into the Division 1 stage of the qualifier to join uh, Scotland and the Netherlands later on in the pathway. So look out for that once we do get to it. I think we will get into a, a load of emerging cricket. So let's move to action on the field. And as we mentioned last week, Namibia are hosting Karnataka uh, in a five-match one-day series. A reasonably good hit out for both teams. We know Namibia is not going to be at the Cricket World Cup qualifier. They needed to fill this part of their calendar with something. And fair play to Karnataka being able to go out there. It's one game apiece, as we do record. Although, looking at this third match, it looks as if Karnataka might just take that match as well. Not quite a full strength Namibian lineup either. A few guys missing. You would probably call it close to a, an A team or, you know, a team that you would see on sort of tour matches where it's not quite your first eleven and Gerard Erasmus has sat out part of this series as well. Namibia were able to chase down a massive target of three hundred and sixty one in the second match. It just goes to show that you can't really judge a match after one innings, especially when at the halfway mark of that game, when LR Chetan made 169 and and Nikin Jose made 103, they thought that you know it was going to be too difficult to chase down. Well, Michael Van Lingen ensured that Namibia would get home. He made 100 off 85 balls. Gerard Erasmus made 91 off 67 balls, and Stephen Bard came back 57. Nico Davin with 70 off 62 balls just made sure that there was enough firepower in that Namibian top order to to see them through in that particular game. But just I think to bring it back to the concept, it's a good series. It's great that both these sides, who are obviously aiming for bigger things in different competitions are able to kind of keep things ticking along. Uh, Namibia will obviously be disappointed that they missed out on the Cricket World Cup qualifier. It's a strange butterfly effect, you know, if Nepal don't have their ridiculous League 2 run, we see Namibia as automatic qualifiers for the qualifier, not having to go through the playoff. And then at the playoff, they're missing players. And uh, we saw the likes of UAE and, and UA, USA stand up and make that tournament their own in what was a, a very competitive field. So Namibia probably feel like they're sort of the, the youngest kid in the family, not getting any food for dinner right now. But look, this is a good sort of hit out for them. And yeah, while it has been probably a disappointing first half of the year for them, we know they've got the individual talent. And it's just about maintaining the sharpness over the course of the year whenever they go back into contextual cricket again, just to to, to ensuring that they're, they're ready to go once uh, once the time comes. Yeah, the Namibian board has been pretty proactive with organising a lot of these tours. Um, you know, we've seen them in recent times uh, line up you know, Zimbabwe development 11s and uh, South African franchise teams and you know, now we have an Indian state team. So they're, they're making an effort and um, it's, it's good to see that they're uh, basically just doing whatever they can to, to get quality opposition and, and stay on the field. Going back to that win, uh, yeah, they chased... 362 uh, with one ball to spare and, and five wickets in hand. So a bit of a thriller there at the Wanderers. But yeah, Stephen Bard coming back into the team is intriguing because we, we hadn't heard that he'd formally announced his retirement, had we? Uh, no. No. So I, I guess I guess he might sort of be available on a, on a part-time basis. Uh, my understanding is that he's uh, gone into full-time work 
and you know it doesn't have the time commitment to be a member of the squad you know year round yeah um, but so. you know if he can play a game here and there and, and keep his uh, his level up I think he's still a, a pretty valuable member of that top order also interesting to see Nico Darwin hit 70 off 60 uh, kind of thing he's yeah as as we discussed with Burster Young uh, he's a very kind of boom or bust player so yeah, he's got one score hopefully he can across this series be a little bit more consistent and, and we can see him be a bit more reliable uh, going into the future but yeah Van Lingen another ton uh, very reliable performer he's turning into uh, it kind of looks like he's the uh, along with Erasmus he's, he's very much turning into the sort of the core of that middle order for them uh, yeah, I mean, interesting to see in this game that uh, the third match, uh, Erasmus not playing. Jan Freilink is uh, taking the captaincy reins, which is maybe not what you would expect, but uh, I guess he's a senior player and he has a lot of experience. So, on the other hand, not too surprising. One thing that was surprising, <laughs> Bernard Scholz. Uh, you know, he's <laughs> yeah. he's kind of known as a, a bit of a bit of a sticker down the order. You know, he can block it out and hang around, but he's just smashed 59 or 49 deliveries, six sixes. Um, so, I don't know, if he's been working on his batting to that extent, I mean, Namibia always has a very long batting lineup. So, yeah, if, I mean, if they're batting down to 10 now with, with Scholz chipping in, then then that bodes well for the future too. But, uh, yeah, interesting series and, and good to see it happen. And, um, yeah, I mean, we've seen the Karnataka guys having a fun time uh, out in the desert, shared some, some good photos on the Namibian socials. So it seems like a, a good experience for them. But, yeah, it would be nice if we could... Uh, see a stream for this series uh, which doesn't seem to be happening on the usual kind of associate sites Uh, so I mean maybe we just missed it but uh, yeah it would be nice to get a look at this as well. As mentioned we are recording midway through this series so we'll have a little bit more of a wrap once that does finish up in Vintook but yeah once again well done to both sides putting the the tour up and, and some cricket for the locals to go out and watch as well Keeping to Africa, and we've seen uh, Zimbabwe named their squad for the Cricket World Cup qualifier tournament they are hosting uh, from the 18th of June. It's a relatively experienced Zimbabwe group, not too different from the group that we expected that they would pick. Uh, And we did see the addition, as we, I think, speculated last week, of uh, the man with one of the better names in in the emerging cricket world, Joy Lord Gumby, (laughs) uh, the top-order bat who's bashed the door down and become part of the squad. Whether or not we we see him in the Zimbabwe red uh, remains to be seen. But looking forward to uh, watching him potentially turn out for Zimbabwe. A pretty solid side. The the regulars are there. Your big blessing was the Rabanis, Sikanda Razas, uh, Irvine, Williams, Richard Ngarava, who's been excellent with the ball of late. A little bit of a sort of a, a an unsung hero, I think, of that Zimbabwe bowling attack. Ryan Burl, who took a five for against Australia in the Super League. Uh, Clive Mundande looks like he's taking the gloves for them as well. Brad Evans. Good side, I think. In, I think we speculated, or at least we, we said maybe last week or even two weeks ago, that we expect Zimbabwe to give a pretty good account of themselves on home soil. They're a much more together outfit, and we know that the appointment of Dave Houghton going back, I think it was last year, just during that Namibia series, I think was a, a huge boon for them. And they've definitely been a side that's been on the rise since his appointment. And I think a lot of their success is sort of traced back to him. But we know that the West Indies are in a funky little time here with a new coach in Darren Sammy, a side that on paper is probably not the greatest West Indies side we've seen 
this side of uh, since 2000 even, you know, if you were to even look at the West Indies from the modern era's perspective, uh, not their strongest side. We know Sri Lanka are putting up a decent fight and uh, against Afghanistan this week in a one-day series and they look like their favourites. But Zimbabwe, where they're positioned, they're in a group where they could easily top, move into the Super Sixes with maximum points and qualify relatively comfortably and you'd have to say that the team that they've got on paper here at home in home conditions almost be second favorite behind the, the Sri Lankans at this tournament Nick to take that second spot for the for the World Cup later in the year yeah that's that's kind of firming up as the as, as the consensus uh, at least uh, in emerging cricket I think is that uh, Zimbabwe and Sri Lanka are the, are the two favorites that group game against the West Indies is going to be crucial for Zimbabwe uh, if they get one over the West Indies uh, and, and you would imagine they would beat uh, any of the other qualifiers who, who go through to the super sixes you know as you say Super Sixes with four points puts them in a in a great position uh, to move forward and qualify for the World Cup proper. And yeah, I mean, you, you talk about that West Indies team, you know, sort of lining it up man for man. There's not too many guys that this Zimbabwe side would fear. You know, obviously someone like Ashai Hope and Jason Holder, they do have some big names. But as an actual unit, I think the Zimbabweans are better put together and um, they're, they're very experienced. They've got some some good talent coming through. Uh, Clive Madunde, you mentioned, he's one I'm very excited to watch across the tournament he had a pretty good start to his ODI career against the Netherlands and and he chipped in uh, with a few good scores against uh, the Pakistan Shaheens in that uh, warm-up series as well so um, yeah he looks like a good sort of long-term prospect with the gloves for them that has been a a role that they've uh, kind of shuffled around uh, of late uh, they've been at a bit of a loss uh, as to who takes the gloves and um, (laughs) kind of interesting to see that that Ireland are coming to Zimbabwe with uh, with PJ Moore in their side, who obviously used to be uh, a wicket keeper for Zimbabwe a, a long time ago. Yeah. So that that's kind of an interesting little uh, homecoming for him. Uh, yeah, I'm not too sure there's been enough written or said about PJ Moore coming back to Zimbabwe. He did feature uh, in Ireland's test outing against England as well. That what Andrew Balburnie said about. Uh, that test versus what they want to get out of the qualifier and and sort of gauging how they kind of want their success or where they want their success to be. I think that's kind of the the overarching point where he said, look, I don't really care, quite frankly, if we get bowled out for 30 in both these test innings against England, as long as we qualify for a Cricket World Cup in Zimbabwe and also you know qualify for the T20 World Cup through the European qualifier. But yeah, I'm not sure a whole lot's been said or enough has been said about PJ Moore returning he's an excellent cricketer and it looks as if from our intel anyway that he's going to sort of slot in in a number five role that's the role he's been playing at Munster whether or not that's for him to prep for white ball exploits at that position it remains to be seen but to bring it back to Zimbabwe yeah again I think we can reiterate that you know they've got an excellent chance a golden opportunity you need to remember too that they missed out on global tournament qualification there due to their suspension. Uh, they were at the 2018 Cricket World Cup qualifier, but missed the 2019 qualifier for the T20 World Cup, managed to bounce back and qualify for the next T20 World Cup after that. But yeah, they are resurgent and this is a nice little time for them. The, the timeline's good. Uh, I think they've sort of reached a, a nice little peaking period and, and I think they'll really benefit from playing at home as well. And again, the qualifier begins on... June 16, make sure to look out for that. Uh, there'll be televised matches uh, every day and we believe that ICCTV will cover us hopefully for the rest of the tournament as well, fingers crossed. Yeah, and, and just before we move on, I think it's worth uh, bringing up that point about 
you know, PJ Moore and, and Ireland playing at Lords, and it's, it's funny that you would use a test match at Lords as basically a warm-up for a, a, a tournament involving a bunch of associates, but that's kind of how it goes, and, you know, we're here recording while the uh, World Test Championship final is happening, and... Obviously, Ireland and Zimbabwe are both locked out of the World Test Championship uh, sort of structure there. And, you know, we can lament the loss of the Intercontinental Cup and sort of lower level first class cricket for uh, for associates and, and the pathway to test matches and, and all that stuff. Um, it's, it's kind of a lot of sort of overlapping things. And yeah, Balboni attracted a little bit of criticism for his, his comments there. But, you know, he's absolutely right that a test match at Lords is wonderful and you know, it's a great experience, as uh, as friend of the pod uh, Andrew Leonard can attest to, as he as he took a catch in the crowd. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, besides that, it, it doesn't actually help Ireland going forward because there's no broader context. They're not part of anything. It's just a one-off exhibition game, essentially. Yeah. And uh, unless Ireland gets brought into the Test fold, where they you know they get regular matches uh, as part of a a more sort of predictable and reliable schedule, they're basically only ever going to be playing these sort of one-off exhibition games every now and then. And as much as that's you know, <laughs> we grew up in Australia, we we love Test cricket, but you know for an Irish player, Test cricket you know it's not attached to anything. Whereas if they're playing a qualifier here and and they miss out. That means they're not going to the World Cup. You know, if they if they lose every single Test match they play, nothing really changes, and that's kind of the, the difference of the dynamic here. Uh, so yeah, it is it is a bit unfortunate that that something as prestigious as a Test match at Lords is is basically a second rate fixture for Ireland. It's it's a fascinating concept, but you're absolutely right. I think look for the high performance end of Irish cricket or Ireland cricket for you know a good ten to fifteen years there. It was very much a campaign to become a full member and eventually play Test cricket. We know that a lot of players in that generation of Ireland, the golden generation, as it were, were all extremely excited to play Test cricket. And when the opportunity came, it meant that a lot of those guys hung around, played that Test match, and actually gave the game away. They actually retired because they just wanted they just wanted that Test cap, and they wanted to say, you know, this is what all the toil was for. You know, the Niall O'Briens of of the world to get that far and, and say, yeah, look, I'm a test cricketer and, and play relatively well and give a good account of themselves, which they did against Pakistan, you know, on another day there when they had Pakistan at three for not many in 2018, defending a low total, they, they gave a pretty good account of themselves. But what you have to kind of accept from the outside is that to many Irish players at the elite level now who have who grew up idolizing the, the Irish players of the generation before, and some of them, are, I'm sure, are very grateful, you know, that the likes of Paul Sterling and others are still there knocking about. I don't think they would have necessarily had aspirations of playing red ball cricket at a high level because they probably never imagined themselves playing test cricket. And it was a case of, well, you know, we want to make our mark at, at, in white ball cricket at, at international events. You know, the likes of Harry Tector, who is going to be a superstar in this Irish team, but for the most part, it looks as, as though it will be with the white ball. And, and I don't think there's a huge problem with that. But this is a team that you can tell have put all their eggs into the limited overs basket, kind of because they have to. Because, you know, in games of context, in games of meaning, it would not be in their best interest to focus on red ball cricket. And to say a four-day test match at Lords is a bit of an afterthought is, is a crazy thing to say. But it's also true. I mean, these guys just came back from Sri Lanka. That tour changed from one test match to two, and we all sat here and 
and love the fact that that happened. But I think deep down, I think Ireland would have preferred to play one test match in Sri Lanka and played the rest in white ball fixtures because it would have prepped them for a lot of contextual cricket that comes up or that will come up like the Cricket World Cup qualifier and the upcoming T20 World Cup European qualifier as well. So, look, they're just between a rock and a hard place now with full membership. And the same goes for Afghanistan, who also, I think, play Bangladesh in a test match pretty soon as well. They are full members, but it's basically full member light, I think, is the way that Kevin O'Brien described it when he jumped on the show uh, a year or so ago and, and talked about it. It's just this weird halfway house that they're in where it seems like the door's shut on you know anyone else entering the World Test Championship. So you've got three test teams not playing in that, and Zimbabwe, a team that we've already talked about, not involved there. You know, There's nothing really keeping them involved in test cricket to the point where they need to play it. And we know that hosting test cricket costs a ton of money, and there's a reason why Ireland haven't hosted test cricket in a long time, because the money that you've got to fork out to do it is just not worth the return. So, look, you, you can't blame Balberni for what he's he said there in, in those comments. And I know that we weren't really necessarily going to talk about this, but I think it's a, it's a good point to make. Ireland gave, again, in some parts of that test match against England, a pretty good account of themselves. But, you know, I don't expect them to win that test match. And to be honest, I don't think they do either. No, well, as, as we said a couple of weeks ago, <laughs> you know, how many tests per year do England play versus how many tests per year do Ireland play? Like, uh, the the difference is uh, pretty stark and, and that more or less explains, you know, and then, you know, add to that the, the domestic structure and whatnot and it, it becomes pretty clear... You know, even accounting for things like a talent pool, there's just not really much chance of, of a team like Ireland you know, competing at a consistent level in Test cricket. And, I mean, this point has just occurred to me, but if you've got these three teams sort of locked out of the World Test Championship, why not open up Test status and in the same way as, you know, T20 international status? And if, say, Zimbabwe wants to schedule a Test match against Namibia, because, you know, I think a lot of the Namibian guys... Uh, would be pretty keen on playing multi-day cricket as well. You know, why not do that and pair back the requirements of you know why a test match has to cost so much? You know, this is a point I've made before, but the Netherlands played a test match against South Africa in women's cricket sort of 15, 20 years ago. I doubt that test match cost the same amount as a, as a test match between the two men's teams would today. So, you know, there's nothing about the fact that you're using a red ball and white clothes that inherently means it needs to cost millions and millions of dollars. So there should be some kind of flexibility there to allow teams that want to play test cricket, you know, let's say, for example, Zimbabwe, to, to be able to do it in, at a more sort of financially sustainable level. And if that means you don't have Hawkeye and, and Snicko and whatever else, then so be it. Because, you know, the thing about test matches is that generally the players actually do really enjoy playing them. It's it's more of an administrative and financial hurdle that's that's making it unaffordable. No, I totally agree. And the next test match for Ireland at this point is unknown. And I can see it being that way for the foreseeable future, especially with two global white ball ICC tournaments coming up in the next year with the Cricket World Cup and T20 World Cup in the USA and the West Indies. They've got to qualify for both of those. And then, you know, from there with, I know we've got the uh, FTP, but just organizing tours and, and ensuring they have enough international cricket to tie them over, whether it be white ball or red ball, uh, it kind of remains to be seen. And uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that as news comes through on their side of things. Uh, good luck to them at the at the Cricket World Cup qualifier as well. We know that they've got their work cut out for them, even as a full member. Um, all these amazing teams going into two qualifier spots. It's a, a brutal tournament, and, and they'll be there in the thick of it, you would think. 
moving on, and uh, another tournament that is set to begin in Africa in uh, a day or so now is the Kubuka tournament. Once again, the annual tournament, it just seems to race up on us every year, but it's for all of its meaning and significance. It's the great emerging cricket tournaments across anywhere in the world. We know it is a tournament to commemorate the genocide in, in Rwanda in the 90s, and it's been a tournament that's gone from strength to strength over the years. It's played out at probably the best career ground visually, I think, in the emerging world. Uh, if it's not the best, it's probably in the top three. So Rwanda hosting Botswana, Kenya, Nigeria, and Uganda. There's no Tanzania this year, not back to defend their title, and no intercontinental teams to speak of either. But we've got what looks to be another tight five-team tournament. Same point that we've made uh, on this pod and, and several other pods going back is that this is a region that we've seen Plenty of collective talent in tournaments like the Kubuka tournament. I'm pretty sure the Kubuka ground might have hosted the most T20Is last year across men's and women's cricket. If they didn't, they were very close. They host a lot of cricket. A lot of cricket is played out between strong sides who are all building here. We think the Lady Cranes of Uganda are probably favourites, but... Again, we know that Rwanda have some huge experience this year alone at the Under-19s World Cup. You know, the likes of the Ashimways and others who have played in that brought all that talent into the senior team. A lot of them were senior internationals already, but they look to be strong. We know that Kenya on their day can pose a threat and the likes of Botswana and Nigeria is is another growing force in the African game. We, we should have a really good tournament on our hands here, Nick. Yeah, should be another another exciting one. Botswana have been, you know, there or thereabouts, probably a bit more strength on the men's side than the women's. So uh, it's it's interesting. Yeah, you say the the tournament sort of sneaks up on us. <laughs> it comes around every year, obviously interrupted by COVID. But it's sort of an interesting benchmark every year to see, you know, who's been making progress and um, who who's having some success on and off the field. So yeah, I mean, last time Kenya and Tanzania. Uh, and ending up in the final and um, uh, Tanzania running away with it. And for whatever reason, I guess, potentially, um, as we alluded to earlier, you know, the, the financial costs of sending people all around the continent start to add up. And, and there are a decent amount of African cricket tournaments happening. So quite possibly Tanzania just simply couldn't afford it. Um, but, you know, whatever the reason, it is a bit of a shame uh, that they won't be back to defend their title. But um, I, I'd say over the last year or so, Uganda's women have been uh, making very good strides. Well, both bat and ball, but especially with the ball, the bat is kind of just one one area of concern and that'll be something to keep an eye on. It might be another low-scoring tournament. Yeah, a little bit of a shame, as you say, there's no intercontinental participants. Uh, you know, Brazil and Germany were at the last event, but uh, I think Brazil are preparing for a series against Argentina and, you know, Germany have been busy with the... Uh, the European qualifiers, so I guess that's what they've been up to. But yeah, Uganda, yeah, they, they finished third last time. Rwanda finished fourth, so kind of middle of the table stuff. Botswana did struggle, but there's less competition this time, so yeah, maybe, maybe they'll uh, maybe they'll do a bit better. Uh, it's interesting they've changed it to a double round robin. Uh, they have you know fewer teams, but they're still trying to give everyone a decent amount of cricket. So uh, they've gone five teams, double round robin. So that's good. We'll, we'll have a lot of a lot of action on the field. Uh, as you say, the surrounding with the Gahanga Stadium are world-class, so that's good too. Uh, Yeah, Nigeria, again, another sort of of middle-of-the-table performance in the last event. So it it should be pretty exciting. I think all these teams except maybe Botswana, if we're being honest, have a pretty good chance of, of ending up in the final. And then, yeah, who knows what happens there. 
So yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to this one. It's it's always an exciting one. And uh, as you say, this is kind of sport at its best. It's it's part of a, a broader commemoration that's held every year in, in Rwanda for the, the genocide in the 90s. And I think it's, it's a great example of sport, you know, bringing people together and promoting social healing. And I mean, cricket in Rwanda more generally has been a great success story at that. And, and that's one of the ones that when we talk about cricket around the world and, and emerging cricket and you know, Rwanda is one of the great success stories in terms of using cricket for good and, and moving forward with developing the game in a, a sort of socially conscious way. Uh, agreed. And uh, again, the tournament goes from the 10th to the 17th of June. We'll, we'll talk about it probably more at its conclusion. Probably the next time we record, we're likely going to be about halfway through that tournament. So uh, chance we'll talk about it next week as well. But yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there in terms of emerging cricket tournaments and what emerging cricket is, you know, things like Kupuka are, are probably some of, or one of the most uh, significant tournaments on the calendar for its own reasons. And even just looking at it from a cricket standpoint, it's it's a great tournament and we've seen heroes really forged in, in action on the field in, in tournaments like this. And it's given cricket in, in Africa and women's cricket in Africa an identity. And I think for that, uh, it should be commended. One of the teams that won't be competing in it, as we mentioned, who did last year is Brazil. A little nugget of news from this week, and we might reach out to her and find out what's going on, but Julia Price has popped up in Brazil, a friend of the show who's who's been on as well. We've seen her coaching in the States and, and in other parts of the world. Uh, does a lot for the women's game and in the women's emerging game, commentated at the Under-19s World Cup as well. Be interesting to see. We might just reach out to her and, and see what's going on there. She's sort of popped up on Brazil's social media and they're quite prevalent on Twitter. You know, in particular, the likes of Roberta Moretti Avery and uh, Laura Cardozo as well. So good to see them linking up and, and, and building things there, you know, uh, the, the sort of rising tide floats all boats here, looking at, at Price giving some, some intel to uh, the Brazilian girls. And yeah, as you mentioned, they've got a series against Argentina coming up. Also some international cricket going on in Africa, the 2023 Continent Cup T20 Africa. It's organized by the IL T20, Botswana, Kenya, Rwanda and Uganda. That tournament in Kenya beginning on Friday as well. Some more international cricket that has been played this week and we'll probably wrap it in full once the series ends. But a vital one in the context of the Cricket World Cup qualifier, bringing it back to the qualifier. UAE hosting the West Indies in Dubai. A few new faces appearing on both teams. The West Indies sitting out uh, a lot of their IPL players who are back in the international fold come the qualifier. We've seen a couple of new faces on the UAE side also performing particularly well as well. And a couple of nice little backstories that have come from people who cover cricket in that part of the world but uh, we've seen the West Indies go 2-0 up not 100% sure what to make of this and admittedly we haven't been able to watch a terrible lot of that particular series but a couple of more regular West Indies internationals stepping up when they've needed them to the likes of Brandon King Johnson Charles at the top of the order making 50s in the second one day and then looking to the first match King actually went better uh, in the first match made 112 off as many deliveries Shamar Brooks making runs and then you know looking at, at the bowling they've all played I think a part in, in taking all the wickets there. Again, it's a side that on paper we would say is not their strongest even in in modern times of West Indies, but they've done enough here looking to say 
UAE, the likes of Mohamed Wazim, some of the other players at the top of the order haven't quite stood up just yet. Vrida Aravind has made a couple of starts that we have seen so far, hasn't been able to go on with a bigger score. But Ali Nazir is a success story of this uh, series thus far, a young man coming through. I believe he studies in the UK if Paul Radley's intel is... Uh, is gospel, which it normally is for UAE cricket. He's a success story, 250s uh, in the series thus far and took two wickets in the second ODI as well. He seems to be a, a player that, that could pose a threat to, to others at the qualifier come uh, the end of this month. Yeah, it's uh, this exciting talent production line that the UAE has developed in recent years seems to be uh, still producing the goods. Uh, Ali Nasir, as you say, hit a couple of 50s in, in the first couple of games. Um, he's come through the under-19s program where the I, th- I think the UAE actually beat the West Indies at a, at a recent under-19s World Cup, uh, on the men's side at least. So that's that's kind of interesting. They couldn't quite do it, uh, at least in the first two games of this series, but you know, they're not a million miles away and it's a pretty experimental squad. You know, they, they could definitely improve it with some senior guys coming back. Uh, will be interesting to see uh, Nasir. He also bowls. I think he opened the bowling as well with, with some, some seam-up. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to see how much yeah, use they get out of him going forward because uh, we do know guys like Jonathan Figgy, who's also uh, studying, I think, in the UK as well. His his availability, obviously, uh, you know, living in the UK year round, um, has been pretty limited. Uh, so that's it's almost a good problem to have in in the sense that you're you're producing all these uh, young players coming through the under nineteen system, but they're so young that they need to you know keep going through with their education, and and then suddenly you start losing them. So it's a tick of approval, I guess, for the the UAE's under nineteen setup. But also, you know, just a challenge to be managed, I guess, going forward. Uh, Aditya Shetty was another, an interesting one to see, uh, another leg spinner coming through. Karthik Mayapan, obviously, is he took a bit of stick uh, in, in the games. So uh, Shetty, another leg spinner coming through their, you know, their, their spin production line. Uh, Sanchit Sharma, the young seam bowler, he's another one who's come through the under-19s program. He, he's played a number of games for the OAE in the last sort of uh, last few months, uh, the Premier Cup. Um, and, and yeah, obviously this series, I think he might have played a game at the qualifier playoff as well. His career hasn't really started the way he would have hoped. He, he has kind of lacked penetration. Uh, so hopefully he can get things back on track. But uh, yeah, I mean, interesting little series this. And it's funny to see them kind of experimenting uh, against the West Indies. But the West Indies also experimenting, but even though the West Indies have announced their squad for the qualifiers, whereas uh, the UAE haven't. Uh, Yeah, a good little story that Paul Radley, again, the the go-to man for cricket in the UAE, uh, he he published uh, on Dominic Drake's, people who followed cricket in the sort of early 2000s might remember his dad, uh, Vazbert Drake's, um, so now, you know, Dominic's coming through and, and Paul Radley had a chat to him. So yeah, always, anytime there's a series in the UAE, I would suggest anyone who isn't already to start following Paul Radley because he, he just always puts out a lot of gold. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, disappointing results on the field for the UAE, but yeah, I think they're kind of getting what they uh, really what they would want out of it. You're know, getting a bit of a look. Some younger guys. One area of concern, I guess, looking back at the last sort of few months of cricket is maybe Rohan Mustafa's performances with the bat. He has been a bit underwhelming of late. Um, and, mm. you know, his role is so important down that sort of middle lower order as, as you know, he comes in and, and often in the past has saved the day when, when they've had a, an early collapse. So he hasn't really scored many runs of late. Uh, so that's kind of a question mark 
going into the qualifiers and hopefully he gets a, a score uh, either in, in that last one day or, or maybe in, in the warm-ups to, to get a bit of confidence. Last ODI of that series is on the 9th of June, so by the time you are listening to us this week, that is likely in progress. And yeah, as you mentioned, UAE haven't announced their squad for the qualifiers yet. One of the few teams yet to name a squad. Also, some news that sort of came through just in regards to the qualifier. And and before we forget, Sandeep Lamachane has travelled for Nepal at this stage. Uh, The talk is that his case has been postponed to the 14th of July. We'll keep an eye on that as well. But yeah, just to reiterate, UAE, uh, one of the few teams left to, to name their squad, you would think that it wouldn't change too much to the squad that they've got in this particular series. And yeah, the West Indies were interesting. They named Qualifier Squad and they named this UAE Series Squad at the same time. Uh, player to watch out for from the West Indies, actually, Alec Athanase, who uh, under-19 player, not, I don't think it was the last under-19 Cricket World Cup. It might have been the one before he made a real name for himself and made a bucket load of runs. And he's he's touted as, as a big thing as well. He's on that tour and he might get a game in the third ODI. But yeah, again, two teams that we will see at the qualifier uh, in just less than two weeks now. Nick, and looking forward to that. Uh, to finish up this week, reason why we haven't really got Tim here is that he's about to travel with the under-19 Vanuatu squad for... East Asia Pacific qualifiers mm. for the Under-19 World Cup uh, next year, which is to be held in Sri Lanka. Uh, this tournament's being held in Darwin. The big storyline, I think, at this point, and we will see some action soon and talk about it next week, but New Zealand have had to re-enter the qualifying phase due to sitting out the last Under-19 World Cup due to COVID. They opted not to go. It means they now have to re-enter through qualifying, which really does make it hard for the rest of the EAP region doesn't really help their case because you normally see an AAP qualifier at this event that isn't, you know, a full member already. So, you know, we have seen the likes of PNG a lot in the past compete at this. We saw Japan compete at the tournament uh, in 2020 as well. We, we won't get to see that unless we see New Zealand falter here. I think that's probably the big story, Nick. Being hosted in Darwin, we know it's going to be hot up there in June, rather humid as well, which might play into the hands of some of the Pacific teams and give them maybe a little bit of a leg up. But yeah, you've got to say New Zealand are raging favourites to to go through uh, under the new or the current qualifying structure. Yeah, I mean, uh, especially with a, a big round-robin group stage, you know, if, if it was maybe some kind of small group situation, you could imagine a, a scenario where New Zealand slips up and, and someone sneaks past them. But yeah, I I, I think we're, if we're being realistic, the competition here is basically to see who comes second to New Zealand, which, I mean, there's no shame in that. And honestly, I, I think it's good, even though, yes, New Zealand are almost certainly going to uh, progress. You're having to qualify is a kind of probably a new experience for some of these guys. And um, so, uh, yeah, wouldn't it be nice if every single full member had to progress and had to provide that experience against, uh, you know, against other teams in their region? That, that would make a, a pretty big difference, I think. Yeah, this this whole top-end cricket was something that... I mean, Cricket Australia was kind of experimenting with it like 15, 20 years ago uh, in the mid-2000s. They had a, a few test match series over the Australian winter in the top-end, and I thought that was a really good initiative, you know, to get cricket up to North Queensland or, or Darwin, where you know there are a few of these games. I think three of the matches uh, in this tournament are being played in Cairns and, you know, the rest in Darwin. So, yeah, it was a good initiative back then, and, and I guess it was probably um, mostly a financial question as to, you know, why 
it never ended up sort of being continued. But the winter in Australia uh, in the top end is basically perfect cricket weather because it's warm, but it's not pouring with rain. Whereas in you know the Northern Territory in North Queensland, over over the sort of nominal cricket season, it's there's a pretty high chance that you'll just get torrential rain and get a lot of matches washed out. So in a weird way, it's cricket should be a winter sport in North Queensland and Darwin. Although I do know they play a lot of indoor cricket in North Queensland. Um, you know, players like Mitchell Johnson coming through that scene. But uh, yeah, I mean, I like this initiative. I, I think it's good to be playing these kind of uh, yeah off Broadway, you might call them series, up in the north. Northern Territory and, and giving cricket fans up there access to some some high quality cricket and hopefully they turn out and and check it out. But yeah, good experience for everyone involved. But basically, yeah, as you say, New Zealand pretty much should be. Uh, if they don't qualify, it'll be one of the biggest upsets I think in in cricketing history. Is it bad that in a weird megalomaniac kind of way, I'm kind of surprised that Australia hasn't really scheduled a whole lot of international cricket in the top end during the winter just to kind of maximize profits maybe that's just me being a little bit cynical but it's a little bit surprising that they haven't really flogged that as much as they probably could have over the years i suppose they know that in australia with the winter sports being so popular that yeah, everyone's obsessed with footy they probably don't cut through the casual sort of tv market but it is definitely something to maybe think about and i suppose it's a great opportunity for these 19s to, to play up there in this tournament we will hopefully hear some potential streaming news about that relatively soon as well um and we might get to watch that but yeah good opportunity for a lot of these teams and, you know, it's the first international tour for, for quite a few of these kids around the East Asia Pacific region. So it's a great moment for them. And, yeah, we might see a, a couple names up in lights performing against the likes of New Zealand or the next strongest team in, say, a PNG or or a Japan. So, yeah, looking forward to it. And, you know, as, as people well-connected in the EAP community, Nick, it's, uh, it's fascinating to see. We might see a few of these guys step up and play senior cricket sooner rather than later. And for the likes of PNG and Japan and Vanuatu, we might see them at the upcoming uh, East Asia Pacific T20 World Cup qualifier as well, which is uh, exciting. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I think, obviously, as, as we've said, it, it'll be a, a good kind of yardstick to see where everybody's up to in the region. Indonesia definitely one to keep an eye on. They've been making a lot of progress on the women's side of things. Um, so it'll be good to see how well their men's program is doing. But yeah, one sort of uh, thread I'm, I'm keeping an eye on is definitely PNG versus Japan. Because yeah. you, know, you think back to the last Under-19s World Cup where the qualification was sort of totally disrupted by COVID and, and uh, PNG were essentially handed a buy into the tournament uh, due to their uh, their good record over the years of qualifying and you know the, the qualifier before that japan ended up qualifying but that was due to the, uh, the very unfortunate circumstances of um, uh, an ill-advised shopping spree from the the png boys uh, in japan uh, leading to png basically being um <laughs> Uh, being sent home and and so they had to forfeit their last game so we haven't actually seen japan play against png uh at, at any under 19s tournament for a number of years and, and japan are kind of the 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 leader of the chasing pack behind png on paper at least so yeah we'll, we'll be very interesting to see how they actually go in the matchup when the matchups have been sort of thwarted the last couple of cycles due to various circumstances outside their control Looking forward to this tournament coming up, the one qualifier coming out of it for the Under-19 Cricket World Cup in Sri Lanka next year, 12th to the 21st of 
June. I think that's everything in the emerging game. Nick, another episode uh, late into the night here. Enjoy the rest of your day, Nick. I know that you've had issues getting to Denmark, but hopefully uh, all of that is sorted and we have a a happier resolution on next week's show. But uh, for now, thanks for for joining me for another uh, episode talking all things emerging cricket. Pleasure as always, Bez. Of course, EmergingCreek.com is your spot to keep up with news and events from the Games New World. Uh, Make sure to give us a follow wherever you are on social media and also a five-star review wherever you you listen to the pod. On behalf of Nick and myself, Daniel Beswick, enjoy your week and enjoy all the Emerging Cricket on show.